Welcome, everyone, to the Junction City Podcast. I am your host, Colby Peterson, and with me in the virtual octagon this week is none other than Shane Forrester, Return of the Prodigal Son. Hello, everybody. Shane, how are you? back. Yeah, good. I'm doing good. And also, guest host this week, local celebrity now, got his own newspaper article. Grateful to have Kevin Lundell, owner of Lundell Chiropractic and Roy CrossFit. Which will soon the gym formal the gym formerly known as Roy CrossFit. That's right. Which will it's now RC Fit. But RC hey everybody, hey, hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, making uh, all my dreams come true by being on uh, JCP today. <laughs> oh man, man. Amazing, <laughs> awesome. amazing. Yeah. And so uh on the show today, we are gonna be chatting with Malik Dio and Angel Castillo about eight can't wait and about the recent rallies in Ogden and police reform. We've got a press release from chief Ogden police chief Randy Watt recently that responded to some of the the reforms proposed in eight can't wait plus Malik is going to talk a little bit more about some other reforms beyond that that they're pushing for and trying to make the community and the police department uh, come a little bit closer together and keep everyone safer but first oh also we're going to have some pinkies up thumbs down we'll have some upcoming events uh, but first I wanted to remind all the JC peeps to tell your friends about the show make sure you join the Junction City Forum on Facebook that's where we have all of our conversations and the polls happen. And uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, it's a good place to interact and stay up to date on what's happening. We always have some interesting things to say. But uh, please, like I said, the biggest thing, tell your friends so that we can grow the show and continue to grow the, the community. And with that, what has been happening, folks? What are the hap-haps? Shane, you want to talk about what you uh, Yeah, let me tell you what I did this weekend. So I'm a big... Um, Everybody needs to stay home, stay away. You know, this virus is getting bad. It's going to start hitting. I've, I've known eight people in the last week get it. And one's in the hospital. One, Let me rephrase that. One of my good friends' dad's in the hospital and it's, and it's touch and go. They think they don't, they can't communicate. It's a mess right now. Right. Yeah. But here I am falling into this uh, comp basketball, going to Salt Lake for the Expo, Expo, Expo Center. And I think they have 18 courts going, Ooh. thousands of kids, and you know, and I'm part of it, right? Like I could have pulled my daughter out, right? But I'm, I'm like her friends are playing. I just can't believe I got to be put in that situation. Like why we can't all of us just be like this isn't the right time. Nobody's gonna remember these games. Like now they're over, and and here we are, like. Everybody from across the, you know, Idaho, Colorado, Vegas, we're all coming together. My daughter plays against six different teams, you know, and they don't do the handshake. They say they're cleaning the courts. Come on, you're playing basketball against each other. And and you go spread it. You know what I mean? Like my daughter got it the first game. She gives it to the next five teams. It's I, I just can't believe we're doing this, to be honest with you. But wow. that's what I did this weekend. That is wild. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, what about you? What's been uh, what's been new in Lundell land? Hey, well, building on that, I mean, I took my social distancing very seriously this morning, went on a, a bike ride by myself up to Lewis Peak. Um, oh. Just oh, wow. and, then, and then I rode actually. So I parked it by, by Pine View, rode uh, Lewis Peak down to the divide and then back around to my house in Ogden. And let me tell you, Ogden's just awesome. man. I mean, we just have an awesome place here. So uh, beyond that, we're just uh, with the change in the gym, um, we're with RC fit. Now we've, uh, we we got with a coach and we're just doing rebuilding some of our culture, uh, 
virtues and values and and uh it's been a, it's been a fun process uh, yeah it's a lot of work but man i'll tell you lewis peak has been a thorn in my side it's a it's a it's a hike that i've tried to do a couple of times now and every time i just run out of time and i got to turn back i usually park at the divide and then try and hike up uh, you got to watch it because the guys will come up on uh, motorcycles and stuff but I always just get skunked, man. I always have to turn back. I run out of time. And so it's just like, I want to get to the top of that stupid mountain. You got to make it happen. It's, it's really nice up yeah. there. Today was nice because the divide road is closed. So I could bomb down the divide without worrying about anybody coming up. So uh, nice. I, it was pretty nice to be able to do it that direction. Yeah. And I think that the, the Pineview way, that's the long way to go up there, right? Because the divide way is much shorter to get to up there. Yeah. From Pineview over the divide. Uh, down back to my house was about 28 miles, something like that. So put it, put in some mileage today. Fair bit. Yeah, man. So for me, I've been, shoot, what did we do this week? We, uh, I put in my two weeks for Domino's not working there anymore. That's going to be awesome. (laughs) I'm a little bit sad. Not going to be delivering pieces anymore. Yeah, I can't. Uh, but, uh, tomorrow I'm going to go, uh, I've been, I've been working on getting my paperwork ready. I'm going to sign up for the apprenticeship through the IBEW. going to try and make some money. And so, oh, you're kidding me. That's awesome. Not kidding. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And so, um, so I got to, I was trying to get my high school transcripts on Friday. That was a fun adventure. I still haven't gotten them yet. So we'll see about that, but it's been, uh, it was good fourth. You know, I, I miss baseball. I'm sure you guys know that. And, uh, there was this video that the Brewers posted and it was just like, you, you need to hear this, you know, sound on. And it was just sounds of the game, man. Guys catching balls, guys hitting balls. And it was like, oh my gosh, give me some baseball. We'll have fun for the next like three weeks because I don't think it's going to happen. You don't think it's gonna, a lot of people are skeptical. They don't think that the season's going to happen. No, I think it's going to get cut off in about two weeks in. It's going to be a mess. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see if they can actually make it to 60 games, but – Man, I'll tell you what, just hearing the sounds of the game got me excited. And I realized watching fireworks last night, like, I need to watch the Sandlot, man. You guys remember that scene in the movie where you know, they can play baseball, they can play a night game, one game a week, and it's 4th oh, of yeah. July, it's all the fireworks. Yeah. Man, oh, I yeah. I, yeah. Dude, my kid, uh, my, my kids, uh, uh, my son, he's five, we watch Sandlot together. And uh, now his favorite line is, Oh shit! <laughs> when the dog turns and chases and runs after him, yeah, he's been, he's been running around saying "Oh shit" all the time. With that, we are going to transition now to our interview with Malik Dio and Angel Castillo. But first, we're going to go to break, uh, and when we come back, we'll be chatting with those folks about police reform in Ogden. Ashley Wolfius and the Elements of Real Estate are proud to support the independent local journalism of the Junction City podcast. If you're buying or selling real estate, or if you need a certified residential appraiser, contact Ashley at theelementsofrealestate.com or by calling 801-391-8503. Welcome back to the Junction City podcast. We have with us today in the virtual octagon, uh, gosh, Malik, what, what, what's, what's, your, what's your title, man? How, you have so many hats these days. What do we want to say your title is here? Uh, community activist, but I just started a new group called El Comité, right. which I am the president of. Yeah, great. Yeah. So we have Malik Dial. Uh, had Malik on the show a few times. Great to have him back. We're going to be having this conversation about uh, police reform in Ogden. We also have with us uh, Angel Castillo. Angel, what, 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 what title should we give you today? <laughs> what, so many. Once I again, am- you have so many. 
right? I am I am also a community activist, but uh, especially with what's been happening in the whole Black Lives Matter movement, I've been very active in the NAACP, the Ogden division of the NAACP, mm-hmm. and uh, working with Miss Betty Sawyer and Betty Daly to um, kind of start that conversation that we we need with the police department. That's right. Uh, great. And are, are you on the diversity commission as well? I'm trying to remember No, I, I, I am not. That's a mayor appointed position and oh, he kicked okay. me off the planning commission. So I feel pretty confident I'm not going to be appointed to any okay. other commissions. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're, we're grateful to both of you for, for being here. Uh, we, this conversation started when Dan and I were at the eight can't wait rally last weekend. Uh, it was great to be there to shoot some video, be in support with, of the community and the reforms that we're hoping to enact here. And afterward, we had a chance to chat with Angel and uh, Heath and talk a little bit more about some things that are going on, some things that we didn't quite know about. So we said, gosh, we, we got to have another conversation. So we invited Malik and Angel to come on and, and further the conversations we've been having about police reform in Ogden City. So first of all, I wanted to talk a little bit about that rally. And Malik, I wanted to get your feedback because you were out front and center in that rally, helped organize it. How did you feel that the Eight Can't Wait rally went on? It was June 27th, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. How, how did you feel that the rally went? And just give me your give me your thoughts and feelings. Well, it went extremely successful. We got our message out. Um, we was able to educate the community on what the Eight Can't Wait is. Uh, it was an extremely good turnout. There was a lot of people there. Uh, the streets were blocked off. Everybody heard the message, and I think it had a, imp- a positive impact uh, overall. People left there knowing more about what we were pushing for uh, than when they first got there. Yeah, and I think overall it was. You found some really phenomenal speakers. I think one of the most moving was there was a young lady who was, I think, in her teens. She was like in high school or something like that, and she had a poem that she read. And Nevaeh. yeah, her name's Nevaeh. Correct. Uh-huh. Stirring so words, man. Yeah, she's with the Northern Utah chapter of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I thought that I, I was sad because I didn't have my phone out for that particular piece. And I was sad I didn't because it was like, man, those are words that I want to hear again. But overall, felt that good rally, successful. And then I saw you announced later on social media that you're planning on holding another one soon. Is that right? Yeah, it was going to be uh, two weeks from now, but we actually pushed it out a little bit because... Well, it was actually going to be this Saturday, but it's going to be the following Saturday. So that's going to fall on. I'm sorry if somebody can check on that really quick. The 11th, which is the, the coming Saturday? Um, it's going to be the 18th. Okay. The yeah, we're going to be holding another. Yeah, it's going to be a police reform rally on the 18th. Okay. Same spot. We're going to be doing it at the Ogden. No, we're going to be doing it in front of the Ogden City Police Department this time. Okay. So it's going to be in front of the public safety building. That is 22nd. Is that right? Lincoln. 22nd in Lincoln. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's usually where I park to go to the ballpark. Missing baseball right now, so I know it well. <laughs> well, great. Um, so, as part of the rally, uh, throughout the sprinkled in with each speaker and each person that got up, you you highlighted a number of reforms that uh, Northern Utah Black Lives Matter and other organizations in the community were requesting that Ogden Police Department enact to make not only the situation and the community safer, but safer for the officers as well. And Malik, I was wondering if you might talk about some of those reforms for those folks that weren't able to attend or maybe aren't familiar. Yeah, sure. So um, there's approximately 11 or 12 that we're working on right now. 
And uh, one of them that we want to eliminate completely is the use of no-knock no warrants. Mm -hmm. And we can uh, point to the unfortunate deaths of Officer Franklin, uh, um, Frankham and uh, Matthew Stewart uh, as an example. Um, we also want to require that OPD hire at least 25% of their staff uh, as people of color or work towards that uh, percentage. Um, we also want to track all pedestrian and traffic stops by ethnicity uh, because currently Latinos are getting marked as white and we're not able to check if there's any type of disproportionate stops or uh, traffic tickets. Um, we also want to uh, institute beanbag guns and beanbag gun training. Uh, currently, there is none uh, happening with OPD, and that's definitely something that we can put into place right away to save lives. Um, we also uh, want to require racial bias training. Uh, they haven't had any since 2012. Uh, the chief does say that they've had some uh, training and uh, bias training. However, that's incorrect. Uh, there haven't hasn't been any uh, racial bias training since 2012. Uh, he claims. Think, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, no, I'm sorry. I think that uh, it's he's counting training that it, new recruits get coming out of the academy. They're getting mm -hmm. a little bit of it, and but we Malik wants to, and the community wants to make sure that we have regular implicit bias training for all officers, not just the new ones, everybody, just like you train on your weapons. Um, we want to make sure that they're they're talking and and going through scenarios and learning what implicit bias is and checking it because we all have implicit bias, every single one of us. Absolutely. And we just need to need to be pointed towards to remind remember to check it. Correct, correct. Uh, we want to have a police accountability. We want to make sure uh, that police can't shoot a fleeing suspect in the back. Uh, we want to make sure that the police fill out a report every time their weapon is drawn from their holster uh, during a shift. Uh, we want uh, civilian review boards and things like that. So there's a lot of things that we we want on top of the eight can't wait. The eight can't wait is just kind of like a springboard uh, to start off on immediate changes that could be done without any type of legislation or spending money. Like Angel said, those reforms could be put in place, but there's other reforms that we definitely want to push for after. Yeah. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that uh, civilian review board because my uh, state legislator, Paul Ray ran a bill, I think not in the last legislative session, but the one before making it, I think it outright banned uh, civilian review boards in the state. Is that my understanding? Is that correct? I'm not aware of that to be able to speak to that. Okay. Yeah, because, or, or he, he, maybe not outright ban, but some sort of hurdle making them more difficult. And I was like, man, once again, the state legislature getting in the way of local control. So if the cities want to enact their own kinds of reforms, the state is, you know, getting in the way, making a mess of that and just a hassle. And so one more hurdle that has to be jumped. Uh, and I guess I should, I, mean, I need to do some research and find out what that bill was called. Um, so with some of these reforms, uh, I wondered if there are any sort of success stories or, or examples of other cities or counties or states that have put some, some of these reforms in place and the results of them that have been positive. Do you have any that you know of? Well, I have a I have a few, and uh, just for everybody who's listening, if you go to the Campaign Zero website, mm -hmm. you can um, click on something that says Model Use of Force Policy, 
And what it does is it goes through each one of those eight can't wait points and it defines it. It gives suggested language of what your ordinance might look like. This is what we want you to hear. And then for each one of them, it already it has a department that is enacting that language in their code. Like, for example, um, minimal reliance on force, uh, the Buffalo PD, San Francisco PD, basically um, all across the nation, it, San Francisco is leading out in a lot of these uh, things that we're looking for with regards to police reform. And as Malik mentioned earlier, um, the, there is also data on the Campaign Zero site, as well as the Eight Can't Wait site, that it's actual data that shows you which cities enacted what policy and how it's dropped in. And as Malik mentioned earlier, it's about 70% uh, of a reduction of use of force claims when you put these policies into play. And there's a, uh, there's, there's a very famous marketing phrase called measure what matters. Mm -hmm. And the what happens is is that uh, you you aren't as accountable as you can or you should be until you are being called on it and and this is what it has to be like uh, and to, to go way off topic here the um, there's a friend of mine is a registered dietitian and there are studies that show that just the fact that people measure what they eat and track what they eat and just write it down those people lose weight because they're conscious of what they're doing and what they're eating. And it's the same thing with what we want to do with uh, altering how policing is done so that it's safer for citizens and it's safer for, for officers. You need to have, um, you know, points that are very hard and fast in your procedure. And it says you're expected to do A, B, C, and D. And so as every cop has that in their mind, this is what I'm doing. Um, the use of force is going to decline just for the fact that everybody's tracking it. And um, one of the things that is not innate, can't wait, but I, I fully support is when an officer pulls their weapon, that it has to be written down because what's going to happen is you're going to get a whole lot of data of look, officer, you know, Smith over there pulls his weapon, you know, 15 times in six months and officer Johnson has, never pulled his weapon and they both worked on the same section of town and the mm -hmm. same shifts maybe we need to take a look and find out why does officer smith pull his weapon more than officer johnson because it, it, until we have data we can't figure out what what we need to do well how are we going to, we need to measure what matters we need to and especially as malika pointed out earlier we really want that data on um when you're pulling people over, we want to track that ethnicity because you're you can skew your data. If you're if you pull over someone who is Hispanic Latinx and you mark them off as white, you are not giving a full picture of what's happening. Are you pulling Latinx over disproportionately than you are white people or black people or Asian people? I mean, we, we really need to track this stuff because it you know implicit bias exists. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, in marketing, KPIs, right, key performance indicators, mm -hmm. a lot of times folks, they focus on the wrong key performance indicators. Mm -hmm. And so they look at the numbers and say, we're hitting our numbers and we're not achieving the success we want. It's like, well, it's because you're measuring the wrong things. That's why. And so what yeah. you're telling us here is look for the right things and you will begin to see hopefully a decline in the things, or you will at least begin to notice a pattern in things that happen and you can begin to come up with solutions based on that data because you're getting the right, right. kinds of data. 
And hey, Malik, I, I know I listened to the last podcast uh, you were on back in February after the town hall. And one of the questions that you brought up uh, was about the public's access to the data that the police does have. Has there been any follow-up on that? Do we know anything about that? Uh, no, there hasn't been any follow-up on that. And uh, they're, they're not. Uh, the chief just gives the same statistics over and over again. It's no, there's never any new data that he brings forward. Yeah, and I, I noticed that, um, that, we'll talk about this in just a second, but the chief issued a nine-page press release. Uh, I believe it was the same day that, or maybe the, the, the week before the last eight Can't Wait rally um, in Ogden. And he talked a lot in, especially the first page, about people are misguided, they aren't looking at the data, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, it's a chicken or egg situation. It's like, well, we don't have the data to look at it. Yeah. Statistics can be manipulated, right? He, as good as he can make them look, I can use the same ones and make them look bad. So, you know, the conversation needs to come to the table and we need to get away from talking about statistics and talk about instituting reforms. That's what we need to start doing. So in that press release, uh, there were at the very, like I said, on the first page, there was a tip of the cap to local organizations uh, who have been pushing for reforms in the Ogden Police Department. And I, I'm i certain that, um, I think Malik, you and Angel had both been on in on some of those meetings. Is that, is that correct? One speaks out, Angel. Oh, the, uh, the, the administration sat down with uh, primarily members of the NAACP. I was not at that particular meeting. It was a Zoom okay. meeting, but it was uh, a, a quite a few people from the NAACP and some other community leaders. And the they wanted to talk about eight can't wait. And okay. the long and the short of it was is the specifically Chief Watt didn't want it, doesn't want mm-hmm. to be told how to run his police department. And while I understand that that what's good for one city isn't necessarily good for another city, these particular eight points don't hurt anybody. They, they, um, we have data again. Uh, these, the, the I can't wait statistics uh, through campaign zero have been tracked uh, through the Obama administration. Right, this was something that was brought up in the Obama administration, and some cities started taking them on and then moving forward. So there's at least twelve years of data that that shows that when you implement these policies that they work. And again, you know, don't, don't believe me, go to campaign zero and click on all of the reports and the statistics. And so, you know, at that particular meeting, uh, you know, Chief Watt flat out told Miss Betty, and I'm paraphrasing here, that if you, if, if you take away chokeholds, then we're just going to have to shoot more people. And Miss Betty was, was beside herself. And, and, and this particular, uh, statement that they sent out pretty much says the same thing, but in, in a little less shocking language uh, in the fact that, you know, you're, we're, we're going to have an increase in, in uh, officer incidents and use of force. And I, I, just, I just don't buy the whole chokehold thing. I have friends that are ER doctors and ER nurses, and they on a regular basis restrain large men who are high or drunk or violent or mentally ill, and they've never used a chokehold. 
Um, I, I, I'm not so sure that you absolutely have to have that in your, in your toolkit. And then again, going back to what Malik had said about training, um, you know, there is, uh, there isn't enough training that's happening in the department. And as a matter of fact, uh, Travis Curl from the Ogden FOP flat out said that they, they want to do more training and they're just not getting it. Um, they, they want to do, um, I'm losing the word right now. There is a there's a police term for um, arrest pr- protocol or procedure, um, and it's it's how you subdue the subject and put the handcuffs on. It's not grappling. It's you do these things and you get the cuffs on. And I'm at a loss for what that word is right now. But um, you know that is something that we should most definitely be offering to our officers regularly. And Chief Watt will say that, oh, well, you know, my my officers have all the training time in the world that they need, at, you know, at, with MMA style stuff. No, that is not the actual from the academy police procedure, how you put a person in cuffs, you use these particular methods, and this is how you do it safely. That's very, very different than grappling MMA training. It's no, good, but you know it's, it's not it's not what we want, and and all of these points here, I keep coming back to it. They don't cost anything, and they've all been enacted and done really well in in Buffalo, San Francisco, Seattle. Um, let's see, what are the others? Uh, Denver. Yeah, Denver, and and each uh, again. Don't believe me, go to campaign zero, click on the model use of force policy, and, and it goes through each of these points with language of how it has been instituted into these cities' policies. And then when you click on the link, you see the you see the city's actual policy, and then you see the data that's associated with it. All of these things work. The use of force goes down when these are implemented. And and you know, all we want is for people to be safe. Indeed. And that's the goal, right? And of course, that's what campaign zero means. We don't Mm -hmm. want deaths by our police departments in the United States. And so I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that press release that Chief Watts sent out. And in it, he, he begins by talking about those interactions that he's had with some of the folks uh, in community organizations. And then he goes through and eventually he starts going through line by line or through each of the eight reforms of eight can't wait, stating what it is, and then basically stating why they're not going to do it. Is, is I'd, I'd can, like can we to, talk I'd to like that? To a, can we talk to that second. opening paragraph? Oh, just <laughs> Go ahead, one, I just want to make it clear when they, and then we'll. we'll I, I really want to hear Kevin break it down. Um, when it says we've met with these groups, the yeah. Black Lives Matter, NWCP, ACLU, one meeting. One, one meeting, not meetings, plural. There was one meeting to discuss eight can't wait and we are still waiting for the second one to follow up to talk about this report. It's not a press release, it's a report. Can I I say something? Let me jump in here really quick, Colby. So that meeting, let me tell you how it went. Uh, Myself, Betty Sawyer, uh, Alicia Washington, Ja'Kai Kelly, uh, we were in that meeting, and Miss Betty and Alicia, we were, uh, they were presenting the eight can't wait to the chief on a slideshow presentation through Zoom. Um, not even halfway through our presentation, when we started asking a couple of questions, 
he took off our slideshow, put his slideshow up there of the same, those statistics he spoke about at the library. He went over those same statistics again, basically told us, hey, we're, we're, we're doing the right things. And he just took over the meeting and he completely took over the meeting. And then at the end, Mayor Caldwell was just like agreeing with him. And Diana Lopez was just there defending him the whole time. So that's kind of how it went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kevin, I, I wanted to get to your point and talk about, you know, like you said, that opening paragraph of the yeah. nine page press release. Yeah, I mean, it blew me away. Here we are in the midst of a, a historic reckoning. And he calls it, uh, he describes it as a couple of recent tragic anomalies. And then goes on to say the resulting political situation has created extensive emotional responses to these tragic anomalies and knee-jerk reactions have resulted. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't sound like somebody that wants to have a discussion to me. You know, that, 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 pre- that part of the press release just really uh, stuck out to me as, as someone that doesn't really uh, want to have a discussion about, about these yeah, I think you hit it right on the right on the head there, Kevin. There was such a missed opportunity with this press release, and you know, if, if any publicist publicist would have would have had this worded differently, because what the what the city wants, the citizens want, is what they've always want. What they wanted two years ago, five years ago, is they want to be connected with the police force. The police force. Everybody wants to be safe. Nobody wants gangs in their neighborhood. Nobody wants drugs in their neighborhood. They just want to be safe. And we want to be in a place where you know the officers in your neighborhood, where you have a dialogue with them, and you're not terrified that they're going to shoot you if you get pulled over, because that's what's happening nationally, okay? This is not an anomaly. It's not an anomaly. It is something, it, this, that's why people are rioting. That's why, you know, people are pol- having police reform discussions with their community because we've hit a particular point in time with COVID-19 and with those, those three tragedies back to back and being filmed and, mm-hmm. and to, to say we have a problem and we have to fix this. And there was a missed opportunity to say, okay, tell me how you feel. Let me hear what you want to say. Let me let me understand why you're afraid. Let me understand why these things are important to you. And I'm going to listen and I'm going to work with you. And we're going to figure out how we can make this better. And you're not saying you're giving away the farm, but at least start from there. And there isn't a whole, uh, one ounce of compassion in this press release that says that that we're listening and we care and we we want to make you feel safe in your own city completely missed yeah and i think that you're right angel in that uh you mentioned just this is information that will be consumed by the public and so it needs to go through a bit of a a filter and that would be a publicist because when i read it uh, i'm going through reading through the nine pages thinking okay I'm, a, I'm not a police officer. I'm not a person who has this background. I'm, just, I'm a truly a lay person reading through this document. And there were quite a few sections where uh, they're, they're straight just throwing code at you saying this, and then, and then this, 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 this. And I was like, wow, man, like that's just, number one, it's not, it's not really digestible. It's not readable. And as you read it, you know, a large majority of the population are not police officers and they're not lawyers. So they're not reading through this stuff. But I found it as sort of maybe a little bit of a cop out saying, well, well, we have this policy, right? And this is, if you read through this, this essentially what we're saying is we already have this policy in place in so many words. Um, 
how did, how did that strike you as a person who has worked in marketing, has worked in PR? I, I can't imagine what was going through your head when you're reading through code <laughs> in a press release. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's it is a a completely as you said it missed opportunity. It's a little less foreign to me because I've been through the Ogden Police Academy, I've been through the LAPD Academy. I have sat down for hours with both FOPs, county and and Ogden City, and I know officers and I have relatives that are officers, so I'm really familiar what an officer. I, I have a better idea than than Joe, John Public off the street of what an officer goes through. Yeah. But even knowing all of that and looking at this, this is this is not what the community wants. What the community wants is a an olive branch. How are we going to how are we going to work together? And and I think that that's a hallmark of this administration and not necessarily just Chief Watt is that we're going to do what we're going to do when we want to do it. And then we'll tell you about it when it happens. And rather than involving the community and, and having that conversation, um, you know, not a single, not a single time has has the mayor sat down with Malik. I mean, prior to uh, this whole meeting that was pretty much driven by the NAACP and the ACLU, and it, it, it's there's this lack of connection, there's this lack of empathy, and you know. Don't get me wrong. You can be pro-police and pro-accountability at the same time. They are not mutually exclusive to each other. And every single organization has room for improvement. And I know that Ogden City does. And, and we're missing such a huge opportunity here because we are small enough but big enough that we could be a shining national example of what policing is supposed to be. Because we have the kind of numbers that if you've got a town with like 20,000 people and you try something, people will go, yeah, good luck with that. That doesn't scale. But at a town with just under 100,000 people, that's big enough to, to scale and to be meaningful. And we have a whole bunch of good officers who really do a great, great, great job. There's a, a friend of mine who's retired, who's been on the, was on the police force for, I want to say 22 years, it might be 21, but I think it's 22. He's never fired his weapon. Never, never fired his weapon. And I also have a friend in Chicago who was a, a police officer as well, who's retired now, went from a beat cop to detective, worked a gang unit, and so did this other person in Ogden and never fired their weapon. And that has everything to do with de-escalation skills. If you are connected to your community enough to understand and to develop empathy and compassion and, and, and an ability to, to have tools that you can refer out, like, uh, you know, not all officers should be social workers. You know, there are certain mm -hmm. things that social workers should be picking up and taking some of the weight off of the officer's shoulders when they're policing. But the long and the short of it is that those 20-year cops, those 22-year cops, those are the cops that have those skills that they need to keep people safe. And, you know, I'm going to beat this dead horse one more time. That's the reason why we have we can't keep good officers here. We don't pay enough. You know, yeah. we, we, we do not. 50% or more 
of our officers have five years or less of experience. And I just told you a story about two officers and one of them worked at Cabrini Green was his beat. He has never pulled his weapon. So he's in the in the thick of it with gangbangers and he never had to fire his weapon or pull his weapon because he had de-escalation skills. He was able to figure things out. And not to say that he didn't arrest people because he did quite frequently. But, um, you know, you don't you, you need that kind of experience. And we need to give our cops the training that they need to have the, those de-escalation skills. Not everybody is born with them. You have to learn those things. And yeah. we need implicit bias training. We need de-escalation training. And we need to keep senior officers because we are one tragedy away from, you know, a big lawsuit. All it's going to take is a rookie mistake and someone's going to die. And we're going to have a big, huge lawsuit because that rookie cop didn't have somebody with him who had 10 years or more experience to be able to handle that situation. And they made a bad call. Yeah, Malik, I wanted to ask you about, and it seems like there are many points in the press release, but it seems like most of it stems from point two. And it's kind of what we've talked about here already, require de-escalation. The, in the response, the chief says de-escalation tactics are a... Uh, I can't even read it. <laughs> Require during- officers to de-escalate where possible. Yeah. De-escalation is taught during the academy. Yeah, and yeah. In service training curriculums and are included in many different lesson plans and forums. That is not, you're going to take a four-hour de-escalation class. That's yeah. not it. This is academy. This is, they touch on it in other trainings. No, that's not what I want. It's not what Malik wants, right? No. no, it's not. And if he was implementing already the policies of eight can't wait, like he was asserting, um, we wouldn't have lost Giovanni Mercado. We wouldn't have lost Christopher Parrish. Um, if they were following the eight can't wait to the letter and to the spirit of the eight can't wait, then we'd have those two people in our community would still be alive. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Malik. So in that in that paragraph, he gives uh, the chief of statistics from about a year, almost a two year period. And it says 24,000, almost 25,000 calls of those, you know, um, 128 of them were considered high risk and six of them resulted in officers using deadly force. And so but he boils it down to the, about 99.5% of these calls resulted in the officer using force, deadly force. And so I thought about that and I wanted to get your, your response to that because it was like, okay, Great, we've hit 99.5%, but don't you think we can go further? I mean, we're patting ourselves on the back for 99.5%, but don't we want to be at a 100? Don't we want to be as close to zero as possible? I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, we definitely want to get as close to zero as possible. And I'm not sure how he, you know, what he used to come up with those numbers, right? Um, But what I can say is, we need to push it further than that, right? Okay, so let's say it is 99.5%. Um, there's there's no reason to say, okay, well, since we're already at this level of 99.5%, we don't need any more reforms. We're good with the way things are now. That's not acceptable. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to add, um, it's, it's numbers can be presented in a way that to say what you want them to say. But I think it's important when we're talking about this, Six of the 128 high-risk calls resulted in officers using deadly force. Six. Six people. Six. That seems Six like a people. lot. 
that's six that's six people that 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 doesn't sound that sounds a whole lot different than 99.5%. I mean, you know, the out of six people, I want you to do better. You can't tell me that you can't get that down to 3. I'd like to see it be zero, but you you cannot tell me that there isn't room in there for improvement. There isn't a single organization on the face of this earth that cannot improve at all. Yeah, and I think that um, we've talked about this here on the show about the the incident with Giovanni Mercado and watching that video and the way that it was handled by the officers. It, the first thing that came to my mind was it was clear that the use of force in that situation was completely unnecessary. There were very few attempts from what I saw in that video for the officers to try and connect in some way with him, talk to him, just whatever. And a man is dead. And what about say I was going to, what about say they're going to shoot him? See, one of the eight can't wait is to uh, let the person know that you're going to shoot them before shooting them. Right. He was walking out of that carport very slow. Um, They never warned him that they were going to shoot him. They just told him, drop the effing knife. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just feels like if, if we followed some of these, the way that, the way you said Malik to the, to the the letter, but also the spirit of what the reforms are trying to enact here, you know, there's a bit of a a culture change within a police department and asking to, do some very simple things and change some very simple thought processes to be able to change the way that policing gets done in Ogden so that instead of us talking about six out of 128 high-risk calls using deadly force, what if it's one? What if it's zero? Mm. Yeah. Um, I wanted to push the conversation a little bit forward here. We're almost out of time and talk about, um, how, well, we'll talk about this a little bit first and then we'll, we'll wrap up with uh, the question I had in my mind. So when we were chatting, Angel, at the 8 Can't Wait rally afterward, you mentioned that um, Chief Watts' contract uh, was up last year and there was an extension, but that extension extends only till December of 2020. So there is potential for a new police chief coming in at the beginning of 2021. Can you talk a little bit more about that and uh, what it means for the community? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky situation because the police chief is appointed by the mayor. There is no election process. Uh, okay. The mayor decides this is going to be my police chief. And um, I've been working with the NAACP and, and the organizations attached to that. And we want to make sure that those organizations are involved in the process. They want a seat at the table. Not to say that clearly we cannot hire someone, but we want to be able to sit down and, and talk with the candidates. And we want to be able to, to, out of all of those candidates, make a recommendation to be able to um, choose someone that is willing to do the work to connect with the community. To, to work with the um, groups that we have that represent traditionally marginalized minorities and, and let's, let's change that narrative. Let's, let's move from six down to three, down to two, down to zero. And yeah. the only way that that's going to happen is with conversations. And, and it's also a, um, a culture. There, I, I know quite a few officers and both of the presidents of the FOP. And um, 
there are good cops. There are, there are some people that'll tell you that all oh, cops are bad. And, and, you know, I'm not talking about New York City. I'm not talking about a big city police cor- corruption. I'm talking about right here where we live, our town, right? And, and I've spent enough time talking to these officers that I know we have good officers, that we have good men and women who join the force for the right reasons, who really and truly want to help protect and serve their communities. Um, but at the same token, there are, are times where the culture makes it hard to be a good cop. And um, I, I know Kevin had mentioned something about uh, having, having a bit of information that I would well, like to hear again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of, speaking of the culture, you know, the, uh, on point number five that he had about duty to intervene, mm-hmm. um, they, they said, oh, okay, we added, the, we added a paragraph to our policy. Well, that duty to intercede uh, doesn't actually take place with a paragraph. It takes place from culture and the ability to speak up. And one of my friends who is a, is a police officer told me uh, that uh, admin is also notoriously vengeful and will blackball anyone who speaks out. So that culture clearly, I mean, you put a policy in there, but if, if you have a culture that's going to blackball someone for speaking out uh, and standing up for that culture, then that paragraph means nothing. Yeah. And, and that's that's why we want to be involved and be connected to the next chief, right? Yeah. Because it, in policing, it comes from the top down. It really does. Yeah, Everything, it's, it's all of the officers are going to carry the flag of, of the chief. And, and they are going to do whatever the chief dictates, he or she, um, what policy is and where there is zero tolerance and where there is a little tolerance. I mean, it's, it's a tone and it, it comes from the top down. So it's really, really important. We need to have the mayor on board with, they can't wait. And we need to have the police chief. Um, if it is not chief Watt, if chief Watt is going to leave in December, then it needs to be with the next police chief. But I don't understand why this cannot be chief Watt's legacy. I mean, this is something that you, you can change without cost to you and and you can be that person who said you know what i'm going to build this bridge i i would like the the department and the administration to look at it that way this is your legacy this is your chance to lead and and let's let's have those conversations and let's move towards those things because we all win yeah and let's like you said let's begin to move forward and so there's a couple things i wanted to um ask for the reform i'm sure i'm assuming a lot of the calls are domestic disturbances or domestic disputes do we need an officer to show up at all those do we are we talking about having counselors um be part of the police department um that already exists that already exists you want to touch on that angel i think you know more a little bit more on that than i do yeah we uh, this is this is the tricky part because the minute you say one thing, people are interpreting it in another way. The lat we, in my opinion, I would love to I would love to have this utopian society where we don't need police, but that is not going to happen in my lifetime, right? So right. we are going to need to figure out how we can take our existing models and and I 
like to say rethink policing because the other words that are being used kind of have a connotation that make a lot of people contract. So I think we can rethink how we approach things. There, depending on the type of call, if we made sure that we had the appropriate grant funding and enough support financially from the administration for the police department, we need to bring on more social workers and we need to pair them with an officer. That's, that's what actually happens in cities across the nation. It is not just a social worker going out there all by their lonesome because right, right. most of the time that might be dangerous. If you're going to go up to somebody's house that has had a domestic disturbance, you don't want to send somebody there with just an iPad because you don't know what's going to happen. And let's mm-hmm. look at what we lost officer my day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I, I completely and, agree with that. It just seems like sometimes if uniformed officers show up, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, maybe we take the uniforms off them for calls like that. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Or having one to show up it just seems like it can escalate the situation in the household or for example like for example like you know i have a a homeless person that's kind of set up camp out in front of my office this actually happened to us we don't we don't know who to call but the police Mm -hmm. and then i did this awesome uh uh event that i found out by listening to jc jcp about the homeless count Mm -hmm. and i met all these people that that have awesome relationships with all these with all of our homeless people in our community like, how could I, like, if we had another line to call, then no, that person that knows these people will be able to come out to, hey, you know, you can't set up here. Maybe we could move on a little mm-hmm. bit, you know. Um, instead, sometimes those situations uh, escalate into arrests and, and, mm-hmm. and other things. It, it's what you're talking about is connection. And I there is a uh, documentary that's on HBO called Ernie and Joe Crisis Cops. If you haven't seen it, make sure that you see it. It is the Sounds Austin, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is the it is the Austin Police Department. They are leading with a revolutionary type of policing, and they're called crisis cops. They started out with two; they now have twenty. The program's been in existence for I want to say seven years, maybe six years. Uh, but this 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 documentary takes you through, and these two cops, Ernie and Joe, I mean, they're cops, cops. Like one of them is like an old grizzly marine that you know has like seen some stuff, and and then you know the they're 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 manly men, right? And they know how to de-escalate and take exactly what Shane just said is they don't always wear uniforms. They will have, they will choose their, they will have a weapon, they will have a taser, but most of the time they're in semi-civilian clothes unless they're responding to something that might be dangerous and they'll pop a vest on because they're people and they're, they treat people like people. And one of the main things that they say during this documentary repeatedly when they're de-escalating situations is they say to the subject that they're afraid. I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid that this is going to go this way or that way. And that's really counterintuitive for cops to say that Mm. they're afraid. What happens is, is you're on a call and then your adrenaline is going and all of these things are happening and and, and it gets escalated very, very quickly because somebody doesn't just immediately go into submission. And so you're going to will them into submission. You're going to sit down. You're going to do what I say. And then the other person is scared or they, they're, they're a little, maybe they're drunk and they get a little belligerent before you know it, it spins out of control. And these crisis cops are doing just that. They, what they do is they sit in their car and then when domestic violence has come up, they go. 
the other cops don't go. Right. You know, they go to those specific situations where you're going to need somebody who's got experience with de-escalation, who can handle the situation and, and bring everybody down. And, and that it's worked great for them. And I would love to see that kind of training here. I would love for us to respond like that so that, that we, we need to have a better way of looking at policing. I'm not saying that everything that we're doing is bad and wrong. And I'm not saying that our cops are all bad because they're not, but we can do better. And, and we don't need to have six people die every year because things didn't go the way they were supposed to. If we had more crisis cops and more social workers, when a crisis cop shows up, they can call a social worker. You don't need me here. You can, here's, here's Susie. Susie will help you get connected to services. And then they go on to the next call. We, we need to be able to admit that what we have isn't quite working and, and we can do better. And how we do that is through communication, through connection with our community. And, and exactly what Kevin just said is that when you know people as people, it's not going to go south. Because if I know Joe, the homeless guy is in front of Kevin's office and I know Joe, and I ask Joe nicely, Joe, can you not during business hours? And he goes, okay, he moves along. Nobody had to get arrested. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, another, um, in the police department, let me tell you an experience I had about a year ago. I'm at a barbecue in West Haven and there's a Layton City police officer there. And I tell him I live in Ogden and he just starts going, I'm sorry. He's like, I just can't stand that place. He's like, just the Mexican. And I mean, he just, <laughs> goes into this racial tirade sitting at the bonfire mm. and his his fist and his anger and he's squeezing them and he was yeah. just so angry about the people that live so this guy worked for the Ogden City Police and moved over to Layton is do the police get interviewed is there like a counseling I, I go back to like the Mark Furman or like two years before the OJ case he goes mm. in and says I think I need to be transferred he's like I look at all blacks and Hispanics as bad people you know, right now, I don't think I should be doing my job, you know, and I'm wondering, what do we do about officers like that? Are they, are they interviewed? I mean, because those are the guys, when they go out to a call, if they're already thinking that, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? They're going to be a problem. It's a, have, it's a, oh, go ahead. Go go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead, Malik. No, go they ahead. have, they do have background uh, training and they do have psychological training before they get hired and they do test uh, for racial biases, uh, but from what I understand, some officers sometimes will fail for Salt Lake, but they might pass for Ogden or something. So I'm right. not sure where those standards lie. And, in I, that test and I can see them passing right away, but you know, over like five, six years, say like every call you get, eight out of 10 may in Ogden could go to a Hispanic household. I don't know the numbers. I don't want to assume things, but psychologically, does that start changing his views? Yeah, and, what it does. Point and, do we... and the I have an answer for that. Um, the the answer is exactly what Malik said, and I've said is it has to do with community connection, and it has to do. You hit it right on the head. If you're an officer and you're living in a remote suburb and you're working here in Ogden and you don't have any friends that are black, Hispanic, or Asian, or anything other than Lily White. You are, and the only people you meet that are Black, Asian, Hispanic are on calls here as an officer. You are seeing people at their worst. 
Okay, whenever anybody calls the police, they are not calling because things are going well. They're calling because something is going very, very wrong. And there might be mental illness and there might be drugs or there might be alcohol, but the long and the short of it is you're going to show up on a situation and, and it's going to be bad. And, and you're going to fear for your life. You're going to fear for other people's life. You're going, to, you're going to be under a whole lot of stress. And if you do that for 50 hours a week, and those the only contact that you have with Asian, Black, Hispanic, any person of color, you are going to develop a bias that this is what these people are. And what's going to, the only way to fix that is to go back to what we used to have a, a grant program five years ago where officers were paid to go play basketball with kids. And what happened is, is they got to, they, they regularly went to East Central and they played pickup basketball games with these kids. They got to know it going right back to what Kevin said about knowing the homeless person in your neighborhood. They started to see these kids as people. We need to make sure that we have enough funding to make that part of an officer's day that, you know, you are going to spend five hours a month doing this with these kids or going to this church group. So you get to see people when they're at their best. And so that you get to know your community and connect to your community. And let's face it, most of, of Utah is pretty white. Yeah. It, you, you're not going to have a lot of opportunities to have friends that are people of color. So if you, you have to create those connections and you have to make sure that those officers get an opportunity to connect with the community and you need to pay them to do that. And you also need to start with, with regular bias training to, to, to check it, you know, because we, every single person has it. Um, I don't know if you've ever read um, How to Be Anti-Racist. Uh, that, that's a, it's a brilliant book uh, uh, that goes through a, a PhD, his whole evolution of, he's a black man of how he started and he's racist in college and he's racist towards black people and he's black and he's racist towards white people and it's his whole evolution and how he changes and and we all need to always check our biases because our situations sometimes will color our our thoughts and our ideas and we need to check those you know i don't understand it here's here's a data point that just blows my mind did you know that in order to be a licensed aesthetician in utah it takes 1600 hours Okay, this is so that you, you can cut people's hair, you can do skin treatments, everything you would have to do as an aesthetician or a beautician. 1,600 hours. Guess how many it takes to be a cop? 800. Okay. 800. Yet we're giving them weapons. We're putting them in these extraordinarily high stress jobs and we're not giving them everything that they need. They need more time to practice being an officer before they're an officer. I mean, but but the state of Utah says that a hairdresser's got to have 1,600, but your officer, law enforcement officer, only has eight. It's, it's a little, there's disconnect there to me. Yeah, I've wondered if there's a role that organized labor can play in that. Because like you mentioned before, Angel, there are FOPs, which is Federation of Police. It's the police union in both Ogden City and Weber County. And, you know, in other unions, uh, there are, training programs that you go through and you have to have so many hours. Shane, you're well familiar with this, I'm sure, bringing guys on, going through their apprenticeship. You know, uh, if I want to be an electrician, I got to work for five years before I'm a journeyman. 
And when I'm done with that, I have a standard of learning that says, okay, Colby knows all of these things. And with that comes the ability to then take my trade any place, basically in the United States, because they know if a union guy shows up, he's got this level of competency, he can work on this job. And I just wonder if there's a role that the, the FOPs throughout the country can play in coming together, maybe through the AFL-CIO nationally or something like that, to create kind of that standard in policing that can help maybe when there's, there's a cultural issue within a police department, sort of like what we have in Ogden City, can maybe override some of that with skills that you learn mm-hmm. as a police officer on the job, working toward your journeyman to say, okay, after five years, you're a trained cop. This is it. You're ready to go. You know everything you need to know. And if you want to go work in another city, you can. Uh, but this is what this is what you can get because you've got a standard. And I wonder if there's a role there. I'd love to see that. Um, Interesting. It's that's that's a that's that's a huge conversation because once you start digging into um, what's wrong with police departments nationally, every city has their own individual problem. And in yeah. some cities, like, uh, you know, I, I have had, I have nothing but good things to say about uh, Weber FOP and Ogden FOP. Uh, the officers, the presidents that I've spoken to have always been incredibly honest and straightforward and, you know, never sugarcoated anything. And, and we had some really great conversations. And then but at the same token, you can hear some stories about other actual, there are some states that have police unions that have some horror stories of, of you know, protecting cops and putting, letting, you know, protecting bad cops instead of moving them through. So it's, it's a balance. I think that what we need to do is, is focus on, on our pond right here and see what we can do and try to figure out, I think that would be a fantastic thing and we'd probably have to get some state legislature involved in that to to because there has to be to set something nationally. It's going to be hard. I think it'll be easier to do it countywide and then grow it and then go to national. I mean, you know, you're you're a visionary, Colby. <laughs> it's a great idea, and I'd love to see it. But that's that's a lot of work. No, yeah. I mean, working with unions like that nationally, it's a it's a heavy lift, but mm. you know, it's work worth doing. What can the JC peeps and community activists and organizers do to push the administration in that direction? If there is going to be a conversation about a new police chief, what can we do to hopefully influence that process? Like, do you have any insights? Yeah, we definitely should. Uh, they should listen to us for what what type of police chief we want. You know what I mean? We want a progressive mm-hmm. uh, police chief in Ogden. We don't want to police chief that's still acting like we're in the 80s and using that type of style of policing uh, here. Uh, We need to make sure that the JC peeps who are listening email their city council people. uh, Make sure you address it in their name so they can uh, bring that letter to the attention of the rest of the council. Uh, We got to go ahead and we have to call our council members. You know, we have to email the mayor, email the council. Uh, We have to go to the meetings where they're uh, once they start in person again, we need to start showing up to the protests. We need to organize. We need to build coalitions uh, to put pressure on the chief and on the mayor because pressure is the only language that they that they understand. They don't understand uh, just regular dialogue unless it's pressure on them, media, um, 
a lot of folks uh, pushing for the same thing in their direction and putting that pressure on them, they won't listen. Yeah. And, and I have a couple of things that are that are uh, easy action points. Starting next Tuesday, uh, City Council will be accepting public comment, general public comment. Right now, the way it's been happening since COVID is that you may only comment on something if it's an, on an item on the agenda. Starting next Tuesday, you may have at the end of the meeting, like we used to do in person, that you can stand up and you can say things. And I suggest that you law. It isn't any easier than sitting on your couch and there's no video involved, so you can do it in your pajamas. Um, you, you use that public comment and tell them that you you want the community to be involved in the in the selection of the police chief, and you want a can't wait. And I'm also going to recommend that uh, the NAACP Ogden Division is driving this conversation. The easiest way to be a part of the conversation and have marching orders is to join the Ogden NAACP. Mm -hmm. It's $30. For an adult, it is $15 for a child. And that will get you on the mailing list. That will get you all of the information that you need to stay connected as we continue to move these conversations forward. That's great. Um, Malik, I wanted to wrap up with, um, once again, maybe reiterating the rally that you have coming up on July 18th and any other community events that you'd like the JC Peeps to attend or amplify on social media. Uh, please close us out here. Okay, no, that's going to be the main thing right there. And uh, we need to just really uh, push hard on this. Uh, we're not going to get anything accomplished unless we all come together as a community. Right. So uh, are you planning on making a Facebook event or something that we can share in the Junction City Forum to make sure the JC peeps know wh uh, what time to show up? Yes, I'll be having that done, but either by tomorrow or the following day. But yeah, we'll have that out on Facebook with the times and um, everything else that we normally do. Great. Well, uh, Angel Malik, I really want to thank you both uh, for coming on the show and talking about this super important issue in our community. Uh, thanks to the activism in the community, I think that we're seeing some movement and we're beginning to see more of what we want because we remember that all politics is local and that if you show up, you can get things done. So thanks to both of you for coming on tonight. Ashley Wolthius and the Elements of Real Estate are proud to support the independent local journalism of the Junction City podcast. If you're buying or selling real estate, or if you need a certified residential appraiser, contact Ashley at theelementsofrealestate.com or by calling 801-391-8503. Welcome back, JC Peeps. Thank you so much to Angel Castillo and Malik Dio for being willing to chat with us about police reform going on in Ogden City. Really great conversation, really substantive. We, uh, I thought it was great. I don't know how you guys felt, but I thought it was awesome. So, loved it. Loved it. So we're going to transition now into Kinky's Up, Thumbs Down. There are no polls this week. So if you want more polls, post them in the Junction City Forum. It's our Facebook group. Is, is there no polls because it, Dan is you know, here? It's, I think it's part of the polls. reason why he didn't show up tonight was because, you know, you know how excited Dan gets with the polls? He loves the polls. Yeah. So, <laughs> but there are none tonight. So, you know, in fact... I didn't notice this until last week we did the crossover episode with the black side podcast, which if you hadn't, if you haven't listened to those guys, please do head over to there. So we did a episode with them last week, but they've got great content. So find the black site podcast, wherever you get your podcast. They're awesome. Uh, Dan, who is the, one of the main hosts on that show pointed out that when we did the show with them on our feed, that 
he noticed that John John Miles has a has like a pole in the background, like a stripper pole, and I was like, maybe John Miles likes the poles too. So <laughs> I did. I never noticed that. Dan pointed it out. So check those guys out. But pinkies up, thumbs down. Who wants to go first, Kevin or Shane? Got a pinkies up or a thumbs down this week? I got one. I'm gonna go. All right. I'm gonna go uh, thumbs down to the Utah State Board of uh, Education uh, on their handbook uh, for t- returning kids back to school. So I was uh, I was uh, reading through it a little bit, and um, you know they had some suggestions about um, you know everything in there is just kind of a suggestion, you know, and it kind of just it's really light and soft, and it's like whatever, whatever. Um, but you know, staff they had they said that staff and teachers were to wear masks if they were within six feet of students but students weren't required to. And, you know, if we think masks are a culture war amongst adults, uh, what is it going to be like with kids at schools? Like, I mean, really like, oh, well, my dad says masks uh, uh, don't do anything. And so you're an idiot, you know? Uh, I just think that's a that's going to be a big problem waiting to happen. If we know one thing uh, that, that is that helps prevent the spread of, of COVID is, uh, wearing masks. And I think that goes all the way back to the top of us, uh, not, uh, um, you know, from the governor, uh, the president first and foremost, and then the governor uh, not taking the mask thing as seriously as they should and and, and putting down a mandate for us uh, that could then extend into schools. And so I thought that was all very vague and thumbs, so thumbs down to that. But on the same token, pinkies up to um, the, you know, some of the local businesses that have mandated masks. I know Harmon's, um, did and, um, going in effect on, uh, now, I guess it was July 5th. Um, and also, uh, bike shops like uh, Skyline Cycle I saw did. So, you know, I think we're seeing a tide turning there, um, where people are wearing masks more in public and can help us, uh, prevent the spread of, uh, you know, what is a, a, a deadly disease and a, and a drain on our economy. So. Yeah, how does that work yeah, at yeah. the gym with you guys, Kevin? How's how is that the mask thing? Because it's difficult, right? Yeah, it is. You know, um, so in at Lundell Chiropractic, we mandated masks a few weeks ago. We've had nothing yeah, but easy. good good results with that. In the gym, much more difficult yeah. uh, to to do a, to do a, a wad in a in a mask. We do uh, take lots of precautions to maintain six feet apart. And so okay. when they're talking about masks uh, in those situations where you're you have you're within six feet. Um, so, you know, if kids at school, you know, sitting at a desk and they're, you know, they've got the desk spread out and they're not within six feet, they can take their mask off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then if they, they should have it with them. So when they get up to move in these transition areas, um, that they could, they could have them on. So we do at the gym, you know, we've, we've limited class sizes so that we can maintain those, um, those, those distance requirements. Uh, we've really tried to reinforce, uh, that with our athletes and our coaches, um, and, um, done a lot of cleaning um, regularly and uh, trying to keep everybody safe. Yeah, awesome. Shane, what about you? Pinky's up or thumbs down this week? Yeah, I just changed mine again in my head about 10 seconds ago. So 90th <laughs> South, I'm out there this week, and I drive by the the Utah High School Athletic Association, mm-hmm. right? And And I'm thinking, why are we even trying? There's been like 11 football teams shut down. Yeah. And friend and of the show, friend it's, of the show Ryan Jensen on them and all the parents right like we think this is so important right now that we're having high school kids thrown together tackling hitting each other 
and because we need football. You'll see the parents on social media like the kids really need it. You know, trust me, these kids don't need it. You know, you know, it's it's like why are we going to go through all this as a society? And it it's so frustrating for me. I'm so my thumbs down is to everybody, including me, for letting their kids do it. Including my daughter did this weekend, and thumbs up is is a. Uh, my buddy's dad, it's at, it's at McKady. I don't know if you guys know, they, we don't talk about it much, but McKady's ICU is past their normal capacity right now. Ooh. And they're still fine. They got plenty of beds and stuff, but it's going to get worse. It's going to yeah. get, it's going to get ugly. And here we are out here acting like it doesn't matter. Just playing sports, go at it. Let's, let's do our basketball, summer league basketball tournaments. You know, it's, mm. it's a uh, kind of frustrating for me, but yeah, Pinky's up to those folks, you know, holding down the fort, yeah. keeping everyone safe, sure. saving lives up there, man. Pinky's up to all those folks. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like I said, uh, you talked about the sports thing. So um, Ryan Jensen, who we've had on the show, talking about Medicaid expansion. If you remember that episode, was well, last right, yeah. year. Uh, Ryan Jensen. Yeah. Ryan is a uh, football coach down at Harriman High. Harriman, right? Yeah. 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 They were shut uh, down. Yep. Yeah, they were shut down. They were one of them. So Ryan had to get tested, and uh, he's got a. They've got a young baby boy at home, he and his wife, and so uh, scary times. Yeah, it just makes no sense. It's like it's like oh, week you know week seven we have Northridge versus Layton. Oh, Northridge is quarterback and running backs out this week. It's like it's like what are we doing? It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's hard enough to get through the school year and get our kids in it, and the ups and downs we're going to have of being open for a few weeks and then shut down, cleaning it. It's it's like this year's different. We got to realize that. And, uh, you know, everybody's got to do their part. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, it seems like with professional sports, you know, that, uh, you know, basketball, you got teams of, you know, 10 or 12 and they can, they can test those guys. They got resources, you know, but you can't do that on a high school level. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, how are those, those are grown men can isolate. Yeah. They're putting and, them in a bubble, right. And, in Orlando. Right. And, you stay and they're here. still getting positive tests right yeah. Like yeah we're still losing how are we going to do it with 1500 kids at a 6a school like it it doesn't make any sense to me i mean but, but it's yeah gonna be, it's going to be a challenge uh so for my pinkies up this week i just want to say pinkies up to everybody who voted in the primary election you know, whether you Yo. chose to vote you know democratic or republican however you decided to do that Pink is up to you, man, because everything that we talk about on this show, we say all politics are local. This is where the rubber meets the road. You've got to show up to the ballot box. So Pinky's up to everybody who turned their ballots in, whether you mailed it, whether you dropped it off at one of the boxes, the way we talked about with County Clerk Ricky Hatch. Whatever you chose to do, Pinky's up to you for actually voting. And remember that if you didn't vote in the primary election, make sure that you're registered to vote at your address because you will be getting a ballot in the mail and you'll have the opportunity to vote. This is a big election, not only because of the presidency, not only because of the governorship, but there are so many races in Weber County that are very winnable. We had an interview with Jason Allen on Saturday, on July 4th, he was doing a food drive up in Washington Terrace. We did an interview with him and we talked about all of the competitive races in Weber County. There's a lot going on. So if you're not voting or you didn't have the opportunity to vote in the primary election, make sure you're ready for the general election because it's coming up and it's going to be big. But also thumbs down to, a, I got a couple of them. First one was I had an interaction with a guy on Facebook. He was complaining that California 
had mandated that if you go to church, you cannot sing because the CDC says that, uh, you know, a cough or a sneeze is, you know, equivalent to singing. And, and, and the way I explained it to him was like, now think about that. We've got a cough and then we're going to do that for three to four minutes. You're putting all that particulate in the air. If you're not wearing a mask, you're going to do that three times in an hour. If you go to a Mormon church, like I do, and you're going to be and they mandated that at most, you can have a hundred people in a room at a church. So you've got a hundred people in a chapel, basically spewing these droplets into the air for three to four minutes, three times in an hour recipe for disaster. Can't have it. Even if you put a mask on you, you know, singing into that mask, you know, some droplets are going to get out folks. Like that's just what it is. They're not, they're not perfect. You're not wearing an N95 mask likely. And so it's still not a good situation. This person saying, Oh no, religious Liberty, our, our rights are being taken away. And I'm like, no, man, that is not what is happening. Like you don't have rights if you're dead. So thumbs down to that kind of behavior, man. Like I just don't get why you're trying to kick against the pricks. It's wild. But the, and my other one was, I saw somebody today complain on social media that they said, how come we don't see NFL athletes protesting for animal rights or poverty or homelessness or whatever? And I was just like, man, you're really, truly missing the point of Black Lives Matter, aren't you? Like, <laughs> you, you don't get to go out there and protest about dogs if you're dead. Like we're talking about existing in society. That's what we're talking about here, right? Aren't we? We're talking about black men and women don't have the opportunity to simply exist in our society, let alone go out and protest dogs or whatever cause you think they should be protesting because they don't even get to breathe. So thumbs down to that, man. Like, no, once you understand the situation, once we get to that point as a society where black people aren't being shot, Breonna Taylor, we talked about no-knock warrants earlier in the last segment. People just bust into our house and shot her. Once we get past that kind of behavior in our society, let's talk about protesting for other other causes that you deem more important than people actually living and breathing. So thumbs down to that trash, man. I can't. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, we can wrap up the show now, right, guys? You can find us on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, that's at Junction City Podcast. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel. Just search Junction City Podcast. You can find some of our videos there. Uh, we've got a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Junction City Podcast if you want to support us. And uh, we've got a website, junctioncitypodcast.com. All of those places are good uh, to interact and chat with us. Of course, join the Junction City Forum. It's our Facebook group. It's a great place to not only put up your own polls, participate in our own polls, and a lot of the conversations that we have because not only do we react to the news more in more real time there, uh, sometimes Shane Forster posts some really good stuff in there. Ain't that right, Shane? I try. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, that's the show this week. So like we say every week. All politics is local. Hey, there it is. Hey.